omission of occurrence or performance, failing to perform a duty, a lack of success, a falling short, state of inability to perform a normal function. This is such a dramatic wow. read of these definitions, Emily. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about failure in relationships. It's the middle of February right now, which is statistically when a lot of breakups happen, actually the months of January and February. And relationship failure is in the air. And so we're breathing it up and taking it in. And today we're going to examine how reframing failure and rethinking failure can create resilience and growth, better emotional and mental well-being, as well as more ironically more successful and happier relationships mm. so yeah, I, the idea of failure being in the air is not quite as romantic <laughs> sounding as love being in the air <laughs> yeah that's right true. i know right so I'm like what would that feel like <laughs> just an air of failure yeah and a lot of coughing i think oh mm, i see i'm yeah. sorry to hear that and like sniffling probably like, yeah, yeah yeah like they're yeah. irritated like lots yeah. of pollutants maybe yeah mm. oh i meant because everyone's crying Oh, I see. Like that kind of sniffling. Right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. So so failure is something that if any of you have listened to any podcasts about like entrepreneurship or about business or potentially even about like being a creative, uh, failure is something that comes up a lot. It gets talked about a lot in that kind of like in the books about that or in podcasts or whatever. Uh, but somehow it doesn't get talked about as much in relationships. And so that's kind of what we wanted to explore today is some different ways to look at failure and kind of reevaluate some things that you may have felt like a failure about and maybe you weren't actually. Hmm. Yeah. So we want to start by, I guess, brainstorming what are things that people typically think of as quote unquote failure when it comes to relationships and dating and that whole sphere. Okay, give us so, some. Okay, so I feel like one that I hear about most frequently is uh, not being able to pursue or get a date with the person that you like or the person that you have a crush on or the person that you're attracted to, whether that's, oh, I asked them out and they rejected me, so I failed to be able to go on a date with them or in the first place i just failed to have the courage or the chutzpah to actually ask them out in the first place um, there's, a, there's an entire that happened to me huge industry built around exactly that one failure that people oh, take totally. to heart yeah sorry what were you gonna say remem- no just i remember i really liked this guy and like my yoga class in college it was really random that there was like a college yoga elective but there was and we went on like one date and then it was definitely like, he was like, yeah, not into this. And I'm like, wow, I feel like a failure. It was well, awful. that actually, 
that leads to my next one, and that's a very sad story. I'm sorry to hear that. I've definitely Thank been you. there. Um, which is maybe you do pursue this person, you do get to go on that first date, but you don't get the second date. Um, mm. Whether it's you go on a date or a couple of dates and then they ghost you, they just kind of disappear out of nowhere, or they're upfront with you, like that instance with Emily and Yoga Boy, where he's like, I'm not into this. Is that actually what he, he said, said? What did he say? It was something like that. And But I thought that he said, like, oh, well, we'll go dancing sometime. And he, like, picked the time and the place. And he was like, I'll call you when I'm ready to go. And then he never called. Jeez. Oh. So that was like a combination of rejection and ghosting kind of at the same time. It was yeah, awful. That's tough. It was real that sad. Really sad. Um, it was It could be cute. something like the stereotypical quote unquote, like friend zoning. I'm not a huge fan of that term. And I think it's kind of loaded, but that's another episode for another time. Um, But just that someone expressing like, I'm not interested in you romantically or sexually or in any kind of those traditional ways. Like I want this to stay strictly platonic and that can feel Mm -hmm. like a failure. Um, So things like that, particularly within the realm of dating of, you know, someone that you want to be with or you want to spend time with or you want to go on some dates with and it just doesn't pan out often feels like a failure to a lot of people. And the classic relationship failure uh, would probably be that of the breakup or even just the de-escalation. Like, for instance, I don't know, you it seems like things are really starting to ramp up in your relationship Like, you're gonna, I don't know, be monogamous, for example. You both might be dating multiple people, but then decide, like, okay, we're gonna go the monogamous route and just be together, and then all of a sudden, that doesn't happen. So it, like, you know, remains the way that it was, or it even de-escalates into something that uh, feels maybe like, oh, I'm kind of falling out of what I was hoping that this would be eventually, Um, Another one, obviously, is not getting married or not really hitting traditional milestones. So I've definitely heard people talk about like, well, we are, we became fiancés, we were fianced, and then Uh after a while, uh, for whatever reason, like the relationship didn't work out, and so they they ended up breaking up, um, and Mm. obviously like not being fiancés anymore, and then also just breaking up the relationship entirely. Uh, Also, that idea of moving out, um, yeah, that can be, that can feel like a failure hugely, obviously, that like you've been with this person for a long time, you felt like the relationship escalator was going up and up, and like you were getting to the next step, and then you ended up moving out from one another, and then the relationship, you know, is over and done with. Or it's not like a failure. Or even those, if it's not, yeah. Right, that's the thing. Those ones that you all talked about, Emily, they all kind of live in this realm of the relationship escalator of yeah. it can so frequently feel like a failure of like, oh, I thought we were moving to the next step, but actually turns out we don't, or we move we we moved backwards, you know, yes. like you were just saying, like we moved in together and then now we realize, oh, actually we're going to move out. Um, yeah, really common for people to feel like that's a failure. Yeah, and I and I think that that there is kind of that assumption of like if we live together and then we ever live separately, that means we're breaking up, uh, mm-hmm. because it's associated with a failure, right? It's like we're not moving forward toward this thing, so therefore it's a failure because success is up the escalator, doing these next steps of living together or getting married or having kids or starting a bank account together, whatever it is, and that anything that's not doing those or even worse, like undoing those, is a failure. It's like well. Yeah. yeah, sorry, the relationship's over. 
Like it's either move in with this person or the relationship is done. Like there's no other step. Yeah. 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 So I guess it's this idea of like, we failed to proceed or like we failed to move forward or, or Mm. some kind of narrative like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we took a step back and that was a failure. And like, then that just means all of a sudden, Oh, well, I guess I'm not meant to be with this person. Right. They're not the one. Uh, I mean, another example would be uh, cheating or being cheated on that. That is like in a lot of ways could be a failure either, you know, that feels like a failure because then our relationship ended or, our relationship didn't end, but it still feels like a failure either mm-hmm. for like both of us failing or one of us failing or, Oh, I, I failed to like have enough self-control or, you know, kind of whatever it is. There's lots of different ways that one can feel like failure. Uh, and yeah. then another one is being, you know, unsuccessful at opening up a relationship, meaning that you're monogamous and you decide to open up your relationship and then either decide to close it again or, uh, you know, it's just like the relationship ends because of it, like that we failed at, at doing that. Um, that that's mm-hmm. definitely one that I feel like we can all relate to kind of in our, our early days of, of non-monogamy, of feeling like we kind of failed it at opening it up that time, even if it eventually did, you know, end up being something that we did. Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or lots of people that we've known who have, you know, kind of failed at, who feel like they've failed at opening up their relationships one way or another. Right. Yeah. They've opened them and closed. Related to that, you know, we can go into kind of the whole specialized realm of like polyamorous failures or what people Mm. feel like are failures within that particular realm of, like, I failed to be able to keep multiple partners happy. Like, I finally got mm. into this situation where I had multiple relationships and it all just hit the wall and I couldn't juggle everything and everyone ended up being mad at me, you know, while I was trying to right. keep everyone happy. You know, like, I've seen a lot of people talking about failures like that. I've definitely been in that situation for sure. Or, like, we, I've definitely heard a lot of people talking about, you know, kind of beating themselves up over failing at feeling compersion right away. Like that oh, they, yeah. they do feel jealousy or they feel upset by their partner's other partner. And they're like, I- I'm a failure. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm failing. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I, I need to not do this, right? That it's yeah, like, because I've failed at this thing, it must it means be like, it, it's not in my DNA. Like I'm not right. polyamorous, clearly. Right. That this must be the wrong I thing failed to at do it once. because I failed. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, so, okay. That was some good, good brainstorming, everybody. Uh, so now what we want to do is to kind of look at that same list and think about if those were the failures, the opposites of those would be the successes then, right? And to kind of look at some situations where those opposites might not be a success, right? That might not be the best thing. And that's not to say like the opposite of those are always bad or anything. Uh, also those first ones aren't always bad either. That's sort of the point of this whole episode no. <laughs> uh, no. but so so like to go through that list um the example that the dedicator gave at first was um you know not getting that date with someone that you're really into you know emily's yoga buddy uh and on the flip side of that would be that maybe you did learn some cool tricks for convincing people to go on a date with you and I then, thought that you were going to say some cool yoga tricks. <laughs> or maybe some cool and dance like you, tricks. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, and you got maybe. that out of it. Yeah. 
Um, but that you learn those things and you do get that date with someone who's not that into you or with someone that you're not that compatible with that, you know, when it never happened, you thought that it not happening was the failure. But if it had happened, like some could argue like, well, now it's more of a failure because you've spent more of both of your time and have maybe been more unhappy or let down or whatever by it. Right. Uh, And then the second one, like Emily, you know, or I'm sorry, the Dedeker mentioned about not getting that second date or getting friend zoned or ghosted or whatever it is uh, that, that, that same thing, right. Of like, well, maybe you did stay together and weren't that happy, but you just kind of did, or even maybe you're still really into them and they stayed with you just cause they're like, well, I don't have anything better to do or right. Or some Yikes. sense of, of obligation or feeling like, I don't know that they were manipulated into it or something that ultimately that's not a relationship that's going to serve either of you, right? That that's yeah. not something that's going to ultimately lead to the well-being and happiness of those people involved. Right. So I guess it's kind of this idea that that success and failure in relationships, it isn't this binary of did the relationship last or did you break up, you know? Because again, mm. like not breaking up doesn't necessarily mean it's a success. It can mean mm-hmm. that like you both just extend your misery with each other, with one another for longer essentially um yeah emily mentioned the marriage thing i think that now like that we're all at this age where like more and more of our friends are getting married combined with social media where it's you know everyone posts the engagement photos and children the wedding photos and the the sonogram and you know all that stuff that even if you're someone who's not that interested in marriage it can still that sense of like oh i didn't unlock this status achievement essentially can still feel like a failure um however if we're looking at the inverse of that of like well what's the success and while there's a lot of people who of course are very successfully and happily married um you know sometimes if you kind of go after something like marriage or some other kind of traditional milestone just out of avoiding failure you know you can be stuck with you know, just a complicated relationship where now you're dealing with also the financial and legal entanglements of marriage (laughs) um Mm -hmm. As you're trying to navigate, you know, the future and whether or not you're compatible with each other or things like that. Um, And similar, like Emily mentioned, you know, feeling like we live together and now we're choosing to move out and live separately, feeling like that's a failure. You know, the opposite of that of like, okay, well, maybe you realize that you don't make good roommates for each other or you don't share a living space well together. But it's like, well, we have to live together anyway, because that's the relationship escalator. And that's what we got to do. And then you signed yourself up for staying in a living situation that sucks for both of you, you know, Mm -hmm. where maybe you're both driving each other up the wall because your cleanliness standards are just mismatched or just the kind of space that you want to have is just mismatched. Um, And now you've just, you know, the quote unquote success is just needing to tough out living with a bad roommate essentially mm. even if it's a bad roommate that you also love very much yeah and like jace talked about uh cheating or being cheated on we've had multiple episodes about this in general but uh the inverse of that is sure like not being cheated on but it can also feel almost as though like okay i'm i'm choosing obviously not to like cheat on my partner and to do the right thing because that would be wrong for a variety of reasons, but maybe I'm just choosing to stay in this relationship because of my obligation to this person because of societal pressure telling me like, you need to stick it out. You need to stay with it. And like, or even gosh, I've heard people say like, well, 
I'm never going to divorce my wife because it's in the Bible that that's not a good thing to do, mm. for instance. Um, so something along those lines and, and being ultimately very unhappy because of that decision. Which is, I, I'm sorry to interject, but it's it's please. just like... I don't know. I always felt like fueling a relationship by like, well, I'm with you because the Bible says that I need to be with you or I'm hey, with I wouldn't you. know very much about this. Y'all <laughs> I know, can like take I know, that I one. But it's it's not just that. It's also it could be like I'm staying with you because I feel obligated to even though like maybe I took a I'm, vow. I took a vow. Maybe like we're not attracted to each other anymore. Maybe we don't want to have sex with each other anymore. But like we got to just tough it out, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that and that that idea of of thinking like it's very noble, like you're doing that for the other person, and when you flip that around on the I'm other side, I'm myself. like, I don't love the idea of being in a relationship for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years with someone who was with me because they felt like they had to be. That doesn't. Yeah. that's not a good feeling, right? So it's, I don't feel like anyone is really being done a favor if that's not something that's getting talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, finally, that failure of, quote unquote, failure of un- unsuccessfully opening up and then closing a relationship that was, you know, an open or non-monogamous one. Well, OK, the inverse of that is just like staying in a non-monogamous relationship, even if you're both unhappy. And that's also not a great option because if it's hurting both of you, um, if it's hurting the people that you're involved with, if one or both of you decide like, hey, actually, I feel like I can't fail at this. Like I just have to keep trying, but ultimately it's actually not something that's serving you. Then that's definitely a good thing to examine and not a failure. If you ultimately decide like, Hey, this is not the relationship structure I want to be in. So it just occurred to me also, I I think I feel like unfortunately there's a lot of people who, you know, first come to non-monogamous relationships or polyamorous relationships. And like, For a lot of people, their first experience of non-monogamy is with a partner who's really not on board. Um, Mm, Or maybe they're the partner who's not on board. And it's like their first experience of non-monogamy is like, I really, really don't like this and don't want this. And I'm like, that's like, that's just really, really sad. You know, like, I, I feel like that's not actually experiencing like the fullness of all the kind of like joy and fulfillment you might get out of a multi-partner relationship if your only experience has been in relationships with people who are super not on board with it. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. there is always that possibility that like someone is going to bring you into this relationship structure and then you figure out like, hey, this actually works so well for me and that person that initially was gung-ho about it actually does not like it. So there's obviously a variety of ways in which that can go down. But yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. That maybe the initial reaction that one might think like, okay, this is always how it's going to be just simply because it's shitty now. Mm, Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people I know who are polyamorous now who identify that way, who are like, yeah, my first experience with it totally sucked. And, you know, mm-hmm. I did it because of my partner and I didn't like it. Um, but something about it made enough sense that then when I tried it again later, it worked and it made sense. And I was with someone that it worked better with. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it is it is an interesting thing how that, like, in the, in the micro, I guess, in, like, the zoomed-in view, that can seem like this failure. But when you zoom out a little bit, it might not. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting. 
So, okay, with all of this, we were interested to see what the dictionary had to say about the word failure. Because, again, it's like, okay, just kind of this ambiguous thing, like, what is failure actually? So we consulted two dictionaries, the Cambridge and the Merriam-Webster. So we're going to give you those... Webster, yeah, we're going to give you those uh, definitions right now. So the Cambridge Dictionary says that failure is the fact of not doing something you should have done, the fact of something not working as it should, lack of success in doing something. Okay, that's interesting. Uh-huh. A lot of facts and shoulds. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Merriam-Webster says, omission of occurrence or performance, failing to perform a duty, a lack of success, a falling short, state of inability to perform a normal function. This is such a dramatic wow. read of these I definitions, know. I was Emily. just going to say, I love that <laughs> Emily manages to read the dictionary like it's a, a romance novel or something. Like it's, I don't know I if that was my that. romantic voice. I think that that was my like aghast voice. That was definitely some drama voice for sure. If it I've ever felt, heard it, it felt very sultry to me. I don't know. That was really that was. Oh, what I can I got go way more sultry it. than that. <laughs> well, okay. Well, all right. Sorry. We believe you. <laughs> yes. No. But but anyways, yeah. It's like okay. It just it, falling short, like inability to perform a normal function. Like come on, because a lot of failure occurs when somebody is trying to do something really abnormally challenging. That's true. So that's I a think that's point. kind yeah. of a bullshit thing to say, Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> Miriam and or Webster. Yeah. <laughs> you know which one of you it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, the thing that, that really stuck out to me when we were looking up these definitions is just that they all kind of suck. Like, none of these yeah. definitions are very good. They're all... They're all either based in this idea of should, which mm -hmm. those of you who've listened to this show for a long time know I, I have my sort of campaign against um, the word should. Saying it ever. Yeah, because it, it is this like weird, weirdly meaningless thing that we just sort of put on ourselves to make ourselves feel bad or put on other people to make them feel bad. And it's not, you know, not actually a very well, useful but, Okay, But at the same time, I would argue that... Maybe it's a good definition because it really does get to the heart of the failure thing, which is that it is wrapped up in these shoulds, right? Because mm. you carry this expectation mm. of like, I should be dating people. I should go on a second date with this person. I should have a relationship that continues or like, I should be working harder and harder to make this relationship work. Or I should be getting married or hitting this particular milestone or I should tough it out or, or you know, whatever. Like a lot of these are wrapped up in those shoulds that then uh, suddenly we do that, the falling short, and then it feels like a failure. Yeah, or the inability yeah. to do something that's normal, right? Like all of that yes. is based around this idea of there's a certain expectation and the failure is not that. So yeah, that, that was kind of the point I was getting to was the fact that all these definitions kind of suck. And I think that's a really valuable thing to see is the fact that, Failure is entirely based off of your understanding of the situation, how you're looking at it, and, you know, like you were saying, Dedeker, like what you think is normal or what you think. Mm. Yeah, or how what, it should go. How it should how go. How the exactly. outcome should happen. Yeah. yeah. So also and influenced if it by your environment, the people around you, the mm. culture around you, 
everything you've been told in childhood, like, so influenced by, by, like, I don't know, I guess all the factors that influence your personal list of shoulds or your personal list of what is, quote unquote, normal. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Okay, so that's the definition of failure that we've received, not just from Sirs, Merriams, and Webster's, but also from (laughs) our culture and (laughs) parents and friends and the people around us. So let's talk about how to maybe rewrite the definition of failure personally or reframe failure for yourself personally so that it doesn't just feel like there was this expectation, this should that I just didn't live up to and now I feel like crap. Um, but before we dive into that, I just want to clarify, um, when we were doing research for this episode, you know, there's a billion like quotes from entrepreneurs out there about how failure is just a next step on the way to success. And there's that typical Thomas Edison quote that you see all the time where he's like, oh, you know, I didn't fail. I just found like 10,000 ways that didn't work and stuff like that. And I just want to clarify that while that's inspiring, there's often a nuance to that kind of advice that implies like if you just keep working hard enough, then you'll find success. So it's like even if you failed multiple times, just blast on through and eventually you'll find success. Um, And I worry about that nuance, um, uh, first of all, because it's a little bit uh, kind of upholds the meritocracy, but that's another episode for another time. if we ever think we'd actually do an episode on meritocracy. Um, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but who knows? But I can, I definitely see people interpreting that to mean like, okay, even though I'm in a miserable relationship and we're failing in communication over and over and over again, I just got to tough it out and stick it out and blast through. And then eventually you'll find success. And I don't want that necessarily to be the takeaway of this episode. I'm much more interested in us exploring the nuance of, Failure itself is a part of the process of growth, and failure itself can be a good thing, and failure itself is okay. Um, and I think I think there's a subtle distinction between those two meanings and nuances, but I just kind of wanted to toss that out there, put that on the table so that people understand that none of us are encouraging you to just, like, 
be in a crappy situation um and, and just kind of and just forever. i guess i guess not telling people that like part of dealing with failure is ignoring failure i guess maybe that's oh. what i'm trying to get at if i could if i could use an analogy here with Please do. using one you of may. those classic stories of sort of persevering through failure is the wright brothers uh which i was super into as a kid um but right that they had tons and tons and tons of attempts to get a heavier than aircraft to fly before they finally achieved it, right? I mean, an airplane. Uh, they had lots of <laughs> attempts at this. And it would be like if you said, oh, you just got to like keep persevering through failure. It would be like they built their first prototype and it crashed. And then they just kept building that same prototype over again and crashing it over and over again. That's not mm. how they got to success. What they did is that every single time they failed, they learned something they from learned. it. And instead of saying like, well, that failed, so I guess flying's not the right thing for us to do, it was, okay, what can we learn from that? Let's try something a little bit different. What did we learn from that? What went well? What didn't, right? Until they eventually made an airplane. And now Dedeker gets to fly to Japan and Singapore and places like I that. Literally was just going to say that too. I was like, and you know, now Dedeker just got to Singapore from yeah. Japan like yesterday. Yeah, there it is. Because well, of those. Thank you, Wright brothers. Yeah. That was not where I was expecting this episode to go, but it's fine. We're just like talking about how much you travel and fly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, but let's talk about that attitude shift essentially yeah. of shifting from like just kind of powering through failure or ignoring failure or slipping into crippling depression because of failure and into failure being this creative and generative thing. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot on this podcast about resilience um, in a variety of forms, but definitely this is a thing uh, when dealing with failure that somebody should kind of learn to cultivate within themselves. So and often failure itself can cultivate. Absolutely. Resiliency. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like kind of a choice in my opinion to be, become resilient and understanding that like your life is going to be full of failure and that's just the way that it's going to go and you can accept that and move past it or to go in the opposite direction and just constantly I guess like berate oneself and feel awful about those failures that that occur that will inevitably occur in one's life so let's talk about resilience okay a resilient person will work through challenges by using personal resources, strengths, and other positive capacities of psychological capital, uh, such as hope, optimism, and self-efficacy. Love me some self-efficacy. Yeah, mm -hmm. Dedeker, why don't you uh, why don't you blow out what what self-efficacy is? Blow out like a like, like, uh, like out a of your mouth bar? hole. No. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> tell it tell us what that is. Give us a little old definition. Well, with that intro, um yeah, self-efficacy. I wrote about it a bunch in my book. Um it's this yeah. idea of um I always it always makes me think of the si se puede or like the mm. Obama campaign, the yes we can. It's this mm -hmm. idea of like kind of like this self belief and like self-determination that like you can do something and it's backed by research that if you head into a task or learning a new skill believing that you cannot actually learn that skill it does actually affect whether or not you learn that skill it turns out and if you head mm -hmm. into it believing that you can learn that skill you're much more likely to 
not only have a better time learning, but also you actually are more likely to have success actually learning that skill. Um, that's awesome. So that's, yeah, that's self-efficacy, which is definitely a hallmark of uh, someone who has high resiliency. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you overcome a crisis by being a resilient person, um, that is often described as like the as bouncing back, like, okay, I bounced back from a failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you bounce back to like a normal state of functioning after maybe being kind of down in the dumps about something that happened, but you bounce back and you're better than ever. Um, and also being resilient, like you said about self-efficacy, it is like positively associated with happiness. So if you are a more resilient person, then uh, most likely you're also going to probably overall be a happier person as well. And I, I just want to clarify, though, that that being resilient doesn't mean that like you're not sad or depressed or angry about setbacks in life. You know, it doesn't mean that something bad happens and you just immediately bounce back and you're super positive and super cheery and super smiling all the time. Um, to share like a personal story of mine, um, you know, after I got out of this abusive relationship a number of years ago, um, and I was starting to like have, you know, all the like all the normal like, you know, stuff that you go through at the end of a relationship, you know, when you're recovering from the end of the relationship combined with PTSD as well. Um, I had a conversation with our good friend, Jessica Graham, um, <laughs> uh, where we talked about resiliency. And I talked about the fact that I'm like, I don't feel very resilient at all. You know, I feel like I'm falling apart all the time. I you know, I feel like my emotions are out of control, like I don't feel resilient. And she really argued that with me saying like, no, you're extremely resilient because of the fact that it's like you're taking the time to talk about this, you're taking care of yourself, like you're going to therapy, you are like taking action to take care of yourself. And that's resilience, you mm. know, um, just because you're sad or you're angry or depressed doesn't mean that you're not resilient. And that really... um that really helped that conversation really helped for me to reframe the way that I felt about like both the failure of the relationship and my failure to like recover from it or what I perceived to be a failure. Um, So I just want to make sure people understand that, that like resiliency is the bouncing back effect, but it doesn't always look like, Oh, I I just, I stopped crying and then I'm happy for the rest of my days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can look a variety of ways. That's, that's a great, right. Great story. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and this subject of resilience comes up a lot in the field of positive psychology, which we've talked about before on this show as well. But And something that's important to note there is that positive psychology, contrary to popular belief, is not about being happy all the time. It's about well-being. And there's a mm. subtle distinction there, or maybe a not-so-subtle distinction, but just the idea of like being happy all the time is absurd. Like That's not, that's not a real it's thing. Probably not going to happen. It's not. It's not going to happen. It's in just, my opinion, it's just well, not going to happen. I think closely related to that, also being "quote unquote" successful all the time, lo- is oh also my not going to happen. I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. That that success happens because of failures and because and of learning fits from and them. Bursts. Right. That it's not just a state that I'm in all the time. In the mm-hmm. same way that, that happiness isn't a state you can be in all the time, and just like literally, you can't. It's just not. That's not how it works that's what you're aiming for maybe reevaluate that a little bit and uh find some other metrics for how well your life is going such Mm -hmm. as well-being which is um kind of this looking at like how fulfilled you feel by your life the balance of positive and negative what your self-opinion is of yourself things like that we talked about that more in previous episodes but looking at resilience uh there's a a scientist named angela lee duckworth 
Uh, she has a great TED talk about resilience. It's also like a six minute TED talk too. So it's an easy one to, you know, watch whenever I was going to say. Like, Can you do? Well, I was going to say like, watch I'm while you're like... on the toilet. And I'm like, that's why did I think of that? <laughs> well, you did. I mean, your six minute toilet break. Yeah. Wow. It's, There's okay, a lot of gifts true. and gaps on this. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'll, I'll go with that example because I'd be much more willing to start up a six minute Ted talk while I'm on the toilet than like a 30 minute one. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I guess, yeah. depending. Yeah. 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 I mean, can you say that you've done a TED Talk if you've only done a six-minute TED Talk? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What? Wow. I'm just saying. Yes. I'm wow. going to say yes. Of course you can. All of right. course you can. And this I wouldn't even tent. call that a failure at all. I wasn't calling it a failure. I was just asking. <laughs> I, I, I know. Asking I was just trying to make question. it relevant to the... Okay. Never mind. Yes. Thank you. All, all right. right. All right. Go on. So, so six-minute TED Talk. <laughs> so, Angela Lee Duckworth... Um, has done a lot of studies about resilience specifically. And her studies have tended to focus on uh, school, like students in school, and also their success in careers a little bit. Um, But basically finding that this quality of resilience, this quality of sticking things out when they're hard and working through challenges and not being completely discouraged by failures, that that quality of resilience was actually more was a, a better indicator of how successful this person would be in a job or in their academic studies than other measures like IQ, um, mm. which also as a side note goes to, you know, goes to show why we should be using different metrics for getting people into college than standardized testing, but whatever, there's that. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Dedeker, you also had talked a little bit about, just like in terms of uh, reframing like failure in the school in schooling systems right. uh, in how Japan does like a very specific thing. Yeah. Th- I mean, this is all mostly anecdotal, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've read a lot of accounts specifically from the Japanese school system of, you know, allowing kids to fail multiple times, but within a context where classmates are also being really encouraging of them as opposed to, the failure is where it stops, essentially. Like, I, I feel like, again, anecdotally, my experience being in school is that it's like, if you give the wrong answer to something, it's kind of like, no, that's not right. Let's move on to the, the next end. person. Yeah. Who has exactly. the right answer? Exactly, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. no, who has the right answer? Um, mm-hmm. And then and, everyone gets uh, to laugh at you for having the wrong answer. Yeah, I suppose if your class is full of a bunch of jerks um which sometimes is the case it definitely happens yeah (laughs) but again anecdotally i've read all these accounts particularly in the japanese school system of like you know i read the story of a kid you know these um in this class it was a math class they were letting these kids go up to the board they were taking turns solving problems and everyone was getting them right except this one kid who came up did his problem on the board and it was wrong and instead of it being okay go back to your seat and let's call up someone who can do it correctly it was no try it again the kid tries it again and he gets the wrong answer again and the teacher says no try it again and he tries it again and he gets the wrong answer again and now at this point i think from an american standpoint we're thinking like well that's cruel like that's just humiliating just making this kid stand up there and keep failing again and again and again and again um but then, you know, after the kid had failed, you know, quote unquote, failed three times already, that then his classmates started um, giving him encouragement, you know, telling him like, no, you can do it. You know, you have the right answer, like you can figure it out. And after a couple more tries, the kid does eventually figure it out. And this definitely um, 
you know, this overlaps with studies that I've read that like, if you're doing something, for instance, like learning a new language, um, the struggling to remember something and actually taking the time to like remember a word, even if the first couple attempts are incorrect, like that's going to cement that knowledge in your brain much better mm. than if you just got it right on the first time or if you immediately just looked it up. Um, wow. I've heard studies about also just recalling information in general. It's not, it's not um, language specific that, for instance, you know, if you go to a presentation and maybe you take your notes on the presentation afterwards, for instance, so you sit there and you're trying to recall what were wow. the most important things I needed to know that that's going to be better for your retention of the information than if you were taking notes the entire time. Um, now, this is starting to get a little bit off the track, but essentially, no, it's, just, this, awesome. <laughs> it's just that sense that it's like failing multiple times can be part of the process and can actually help make success more accessible to you in the future, essentially, mm-hmm. is kind of the takeaway there. I'm going to resist so hard going on a tangent with you because I read a really cool <laughs> other article about that with learn- like learning stuff, but, but we're not going to go there because that's not what this episode's about. Um, <sighs> but we are going to talk about developing resilience because by now you might be going, yes, that sounds great, but I don't have that. I'm a failure. And now we're back where we started. <laughs> so the good news is that resilience is something that's learned. It's something that can be taught. It's something that we mostly learned unintentionally, right? By just picking it up from places. But it is something that we can Mm. be intentional about and trying to learn. So here are some examples. And these are pulled from a bunch of different sources uh, that some are, are kind of about like things we can be teaching our children. Others are about what you can be doing in business. Others are kind of more geared around the arts. There's lots of different options. So I'm just going to go down this list here. So the first one is setting smaller goals, setting tiny goals that align with your values. And I think this one, when we think about it in terms of relationships, is like saying rather than my goal is to get married and have a white picket fence and these amount of kids and whatever, instead of that goal, my goal is I want to have a relationship where I feel safe to communicate honestly with my partner. Right. Mm -hmm. And then be like, okay, I feel like I have that. Now my next goal is I want to have a relationship where we're able to talk about, uh, say like sharing money in a very like frank and matter of fact way while also having a relationship where we communicate honestly, right. Is finding these things that line up with your values. And we'll, we'll come back to that Mm -hmm. in a second. Uh, second one is spending time on mindfulness. So this could look like a lot of different things, like for Dedeker, you know, she loves meditation. Um, you know, I really like journal writing. Um, it's something yoga. that... And like yoga, yeah, great example. Yoga or just boy. going for walks has actually been something I've been doing, like during breaks at work. Um, I'll like go for a walk to kind of be away from people and be moving, because for me that helps. And I just recently read uh, this cool article, and I apologize that I don't remember the name of this uh, professor who was talking about this, but um, she's pretty famous for writing and talking about mindfulness. And one of the things she talked about is that people have this mistaken idea that mindfulness is like a chore, that mindfulness is something that mm. like takes a lot of energy and is draining. And mm. she was making the argument that it's, it's actually the opposite. She's saying like when you're on vacation – 
and you paid a lot of money to have time where you're not having to work and you're just getting to enjoy stuff, that that's an example of mindfulness. And Hmm. that including mindfulness into our everyday is actually something that is energizing in a similar way of like we get to kind of take this little mini vacation. Vacation from our problems. Right, right. By being mindful rather than it being a chore and yet another thing on our to-do list. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I never really thought about it that way. Because it is so easy to frame mindfulness or even something like meditation as like, uh, the chore of I have to resist looking at my phone for five minutes. Or the (laughs) chore of I need to sit still for five minutes. Or the chore of you know, whatever, instead of framing it as like, this is like my mini vacation right now. You know, mm-hmm. this is like my mm-hmm. little energy boost right now, even if it's just five minutes. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then going along with that mindfulness is the gratitude exercise that we talked about on, we talked about it in the positive psychology episode, maybe also in one other one, but it's the exercise of, of it's very simple. It's ending every single day, Ideally, writing this down, but you could also just kind of say this out loud to yourself or or even just think it, is thinking of three things that happened today that you're grateful for and why you appreciate those. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm grateful that I have a house or something like that. But it's like, I'm grateful that, you know what, someone held the door open for me today. And that was really nice. It's like... Well, there, there have been times that I've just written down like, I saw a cute gecko. Right. <laughs> on like on particularly ah, bad days. <laughs> totally. Totally. And that by doing this, what you're really doing is you're training yourself, you're training that muscle that remembers hmm. the good things that happened, the things that worked out. Maybe you had like a really terrible meeting at the end of the day and that's all you can think about at night. And then when you're doing this exercise, you think back and go, you know what? Actually, earlier in the day, I did this project at work, or I had this conversation with my partner that went really well, and they really acknowledged me, I would have forgotten about that entirely. It would have gotten erased by this other bad thing that happened. And instead, I'm able to remember that, right? And this goes along with having this resilience of just seeing like, oh, right, there are positives here too. Um, And so in a lot of the stuff that we were looking into, and we're going to go into more depth about like a specific exercise for doing this in a second, um, for building resilience about specific situations, but something that came up a lot was this idea of finding your purpose. And it tended to be tied to like the arts or jobs or things like that, of like if you find something that aligns with this higher purpose that you believe in, that that'll help you be more resilient, right? It'll help you persevere through things because it's attached to something bigger than just yourself or just your whim right then. And I think that to go back to those examples about setting those tiny goals for your relationships rather than this big goal of like, I want this one particular life, right? Like I want to have this closed triad with this type of people and it works this one particular way. And instead going back and saying, like looking at what are your values? Like what are your points of integrity with relationships? And it reminded me of like Dedeker's exercise of writing a constitution for yourself, of mm-hmm. like not describing what the other people are involved in the relationships, but what you are. Like what you mm-hmm. believe are the relationships you deserve to have that you, um, you know, believe you can have and that you won't accept less than. And starting from those that having those 
beliefs and reminding yourself of those can inform your relationship decisions and your relationship goals rather than just kind of taking on these sort of wholesale abstract goals because you saw it somewhere and it looked good or you had this idea and it sounded cool. Wholesale goals. Well, I think, and I, I really like that because, you know, having that kind of sense of purpose and that sense of like your core values, I know that having that can really immediately change the story around a relationship ending mm. or around someone rejecting you. Yeah. Because if you know, like, well, I know I'm staying true to what, what my purpose is or what my values are. And it's clear to me, like, clearly this person was not on board with my values or mm-hmm. this relationship was going to run counter to what it is that I want in relationships. And so it doesn't feel like a failure. It just feels like, okay, it's more of like a, maybe like a course correction or something like that, that really helps yeah. you to reframe that particular failure. I feel. Yeah. I like definitely. that. Yeah. All right. Like, are I you talk all... more about reframing? Yes. Yes. Are you ready for some writing homework? I mean, a super fun writing exercise. Yeah. I love writing. Reframing uh-huh. it not as homework, but exactly. as a super fun ep- exercise. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. So let's this... do it particular exercise for reframing failure and building resilience around failure that was created by um, Dr. Martin Seligman, who is often credited as like the father of positive psychology. Um, What's funny is that that woman I was talking about earlier who talked about mindfulness, she's often called the mother of positive psychology. So they were definitely very like much in cahoots um, or our positive psychology parents. Yeah, I guess so. Love it. (laughs) Did they work together ever? I, I, I'm sure that they interact they can with some. Co- they know. can co-parent. Yeah. They don't, okay. you know, okay. that's fine. They can co-parent however it is that they like. Co-parent <laughs> completely separately from one another. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, so this is Dr. Martin Seligman's ABCDE exercise. And for those of you who are familiar with CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe you either studied it or read about it, or you have gone to cognitive behavioral therapy yourself, the beginning of this will be very familiar. Um, you know, the first ABC of the ABCDE became, you know, a milestone of CBT. And it's called the ABCs of CBTs. And now I've said way too many letters. And I'm going <laughs> to yeah, stop yeah. saying letters. I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost already. <laughs> okay. So the first step is A, figure out what is the adversity. So what was the thing that happened? Um, I'm just going to run through these. We're going to dive more into like an actual specific example of going through this writing exercise. Um, But first, I'm going to explain each step. So A is finding the adversity. What was the thing that happened? What was the failure here? Um, So writing that out. And then we move on to B, which are the beliefs. What are my beliefs about what happened? What meaning am I giving this thing? What do I believe about myself? What do I believe about the situation? Um, Moving on to C, which is consequences, which is how do I feel because of those beliefs? What are the consequences in my life? What kind of actions or behavior am I taking as a result of my beliefs around this adversity or this failure that happened? Um, so that the ABC is like, that's the foundation of CBT therapy, but then we move on to the D and E and D is disputation or just dispute it. That's all dispute it. Like argue the other side of those beliefs, write out different reasons for why this failure happened or like a different way of looking at this failure. Um, you know, dispute that it's actually a failure or dispute that it's actually something negative. And then the last one is energization or energize it, which means like after going through these steps, how has your feeling changed after disputing your previous beliefs? What might be 
a different mindset to put on moving forward. And again, even if it's just a tiny change, you know, what might be a way to energize yourself so that this failure is again something generative, something creative, something that pushes you forward rather than something that flattens you essentially. Cool. So now what we're going to do is we're going to do a little writing exercise of our own. We made up this exercise example. Um, And so a pro tip, if you are going to do this on your own, it might be a little bit difficult just to like have the objective opinion of yourself going through this. So it may help to get someone that you trust to talk to, uh, to help you through these steps. Because again, sometimes it's really difficult to like look inward during times of crisis and instead like an objective viewpoint or even just someone who's like not totally within it could be really helpful. Right. Some- it can be helpful to dispute it yeah. to yourself sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Something to keep in mind with this is just that this is a, you know, a, a partly fictional example based on real life experiences that we've come up with here. But this is just to kind of give you the idea of how you would go through this ABCDE, how you would go through these steps, what, what that might sound like. So here's this example that is a fictional example that we came up with. Um, But in this example, uh, we are de-escalating or breaking up a relationship. So uh, in this example, my partner and I have many years decided to like take a step back from a romantic relationship. We're planning on moving out. We we have been living together, but we're moving out within the month. Um, We're just really not as compatible as we used to be. The, The sex has been lackluster for about six months. Um, and we're just clearly like happy when we're around each other. So that's Un- that's the adversity section. Yes, unhappy. You said Can happy you when happy? we're around each other. Yeah, we're not happy. We ain't. <laughs> no happiness. Is right. Here. So that's so that's the adversity or the failure. The step A yes. of the yeah, writing exactly. exercise. So then the B is belief. So what do I believe about this? It's well, maybe I'm not trying hard enough, or. I mean, I am really sick of all the work that's going into making my relationship stay afloat. So the fact that I'm sick of that means I'm a shitty partner. Um, or like I'm, I'm afraid because I don't think I can make it on my own and no one else will love me. And I don't feel like I can live well on my own. And if I couldn't make this work, I won't be able to make anything work. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are those internalized beliefs as you know of what you believe about the situation. And so moving on to C, which is the consequences of those beliefs. So the consequences is maybe like, well, because my entire life is an upheaval because of the breakup, like I'm stressed out all the time. I'm not able to get any sleep because I'm stressing about finding a new place to live. I'm stressed about living alone, or I'm stressed about trying to find roommates, or I'm stressed about how I'm going to afford this, or as a consequence, like I'm crying all the time, or I'm angry all the time, or both at the same time, or I feel depressed, or I feel discouraged about the future, I feel discouraged about my future of, you know, getting into another relationship or being single for a while or things like that. Okay. So with those adversities, um, and the beliefs that come from that adversity, and then the consequences that come from that belief, we're going to kind of turn this on its head And we're going to dispute that. So we're going to look at these things in a different light. So, okay, like, even though we're venturing into the unknown here with breaking up with our partner and being on our own, there's there's kind of like an excitement. There's this excitement that we feel about, like, the possibility of getting to live on our own again, about, like, creating our own agenda. Um, We're not going to have to worry about what we're doing or saying, like, if we're pissing off our partner, if we're making them happy, 
Uh, and then there's also a, a different side of this. Like my partner and I work well as friends. Like maybe taking the difficult part of sex out of the equation will actually make us be happier um, and and allow us to have a really great friendship eventually. Yeah, I feel like you could also dispute, like, I think another part of this disputation process is also disputing, like, actually, I don't think I'm a bad partner, or I have, yeah. I can look at evidence from past relationships to sh- to show myself the times that I was a good partner, or yeah, I can and dispute, I did like, give it a good college try. Right, exactly. Or I can dispute, like, I have lived alone in the past, and it's been fine, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm. Or disputing, like, well, people have decided to date me before, so I'm not going to be alone forever. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, it's like looking at each of those beliefs and being like, could I make, not just say, like, it's going to be fine, but, like, actually give evidence of, like, no, actually, I have had people ask me out before. Or actually, just Mm -hmm. the other week, someone asked me out, and I said no, because I was in this relationship, but, like, people are still interested in me. Right. It's like finding yeah. evidence. Like, how would you actually argue this against yourself? Right. Like, how could you make a, this, a, this a good is, case? It seems like a step that's also good to have someone else, again, that you trust, like someone else who's not just going to say, oh, whatever, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. But we'll mm-hmm. help you talk through this and we'll help mm-hmm. bring up examples to actually dispute or kind of contradict like these negative beliefs that you're holding about the situation. Um, Absolutely. I think that so, the power, though, is if you're the one disputing it. Like, I I still love having that friend there who maybe reminds you of like, well, what about this? But then if you're the one yourself who's like, you're right, that's an example of how I am a good partner, or that's an example of Mm -hmm. how I can find love or do well on my own or or whatever. Yeah. So from that disputing process, you kind of distill all that down into energizing. And so that might be something like, okay, even though I know that this transition is going to be difficult, I... I'm looking forward to getting out of here, you know, like getting into my own space again, like maybe being able to go on some new dates. You know, I feel like this is just kind of another chapter in my life and like I can kind of rebuild myself. I can get back into the hobbies that I abandoned mm. when I was with this particular partner, you know, or I can pick up something new and explore these new things. I can be my own agent in my happiness again. And you know, which is definitely like, you know, it's a it's landing in a better place than just wallowing in the, I think I'm a shitty partner and I've failed at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And not that going through this is going to be like instantaneously turn things around, but it is going to help lay that groundwork for like rewriting that story about failure in your head. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. And I, and I think this last step of the energize of like writing about how you feel different now after disputing this is the one that I think it's easy to kind of take issue with and be like, sure, sure. And the examples everyone's like, and now I feel so great. But the truth is that even if you still feel shitty about it and you still feel like you maybe have some of those beliefs, the negative ones, even if there's like this incremental bit better that you feel, that's mm-hmm that's what you write about, right? That when you do this exercise, it's like, even if it's not like problem solved overnight, wow, miracle cure. It's like, no, but you know what? I do feel a little bit better, even though overall I'm still not happy about this. I think that's a really important piece, right? Is to don't, (laughs) ironically, I guess, don't feel like you failed at this exercise (laughs) just because your outcome didn't look like like it does in the examples. Tip-top shape right. immediately. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, 
just for those of you listening at home, your time for the quiz is up. The answer was Dr. Ellen Langer. Langer? Langer? Was who? The, mo- the, the, mo- the mother, the mother of, positive of positive psychology. psychology? She's, oh my she's the professor who talks about uh, mindfulness and, and said that thing about it being energizing rather than costing energy. Oh, right. I thought it was the TED Talk lady. No, that you that's, were talking about earlier. Yeah, she's also awesome. She's she's like a young lass compared to Seligman and Langer. They're so she's both... like the young auntie, maybe. <laughs> Gosh. Or the, the niece of Ma- yeah, of the, the cousin. Yeah, cousin perhaps. Maybe the co- the, the second cousin once removed of <laughs> the positive psychology movement. <laughs> Well, that makes it sound like she's not quite part of it. Yeah, I don't know. But yes, Angela Duckworth is is kind of like the younger generation of researchers and, okay. and people talking about this. Whereas Dr. Ellen Langer and Dr. Martin Seligman are both they're they're quite a bit older at this point, um, and were sort of pioneers I of see. this earlier in the day. Okay, cool. Well, good job on that pop quiz that no one saw coming. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even like know that that was a quiz. I no, there's going to be like one person who, and I couldn't remember it earlier. It's like, oh my gosh. I think it's this. Uh, it's it's got to be Dr. Ellen Langer, and probably more than one. But yeah, well, well, that handful of people got a little boost just then. Yeah, tweet at yeah. us and let us know because okay, I think there's only one. I'm expecting one tweet. <laughs> Can fine. we end things out with this beautiful collection of quotes about failure that we've collected? Yeah, all from beautiful women, mm. which I love. Um. Okay, so this one is from the goddess Oprah Winfrey. Uh, or maybe I should say queen, because she says, think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness. You've really been trotting out I know. the, the I think drama it's because voice I'm in drunk this Bible study. I'm not even yeah, going to lie to y'all. That makes sense. Which I know that people have gotten on me for the, the voices, but I love them. It's theater. <laughs> it's the theater. It is theater. Well, so our next one is from Maya Angelou. Um, She says, you may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. And I I love that quote. Like, I love how she breaks it down. It's it's not like a, I mean, Oprah Winfrey is talking about queens and stuff, and I love that. But Maya Angelou feels a little more down to earth and pragmatic, which I really love. Yeah. Uh, and then our last one is from Ellen DeGeneres, which is, when you take risks, you learn that there will be times when you succeed and there will be times when you fail. And both are equally important. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thanks, Just Ellen. The Thanks. idea that it's not like you'd have to put up with the failures to get to success. It's like, no, both of these are equally important in terms of mm. your growth and your success. I think that's yeah. really cool. Wow. Well, I love all that. Um, We would definitely love to hear from you. If any of you try this ABCDE exercise and what it produces for you, um, or even if you want to pop into our patron group and just share with us, you know, what you what, you know, came out of this exercise, or even share the writing that you did, we'd definitely love to see it. So the best place to share that and to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook or discourse forums. And you can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. 
Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Jace Lindgren, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.